Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Just because you're stressed about like $150 and I'm stressed about 150 grand doesn't make it any less valid. How do you introduce Constance Hall? I'm not going to go into any of the tabloid cliches because, I mean, we all know that's just sexist bullshit, but I'll just introduce Constance as I see her. She's a stunning, sexy, hilarious earth mother from Perth. A Perth mother. She's turned her Facebook following of 1.3 million people, mostly women, into an empire, encompassing clothing, books, and even a vegan aluminium-free deodorant. She also manages to keep her relationship with all of those followers intimate enough that she can be honest when she's made a financial miscalculation and ask them for help, like friends. Constance became famous by blogging about sex after kids and since then she's had more kids and more sex and she's still blogging very candidly about the joys of sex even after an argument, even when it's interrupted by a toddler, with her second husband, Denim. I think she's quite magical, actually, and I wasn't one bit surprised to learn that she and Cassandra Thorburn, a.k.a. Carl Stefanovic's first wife, became firm friends when they both appeared on Dancing with the Stars. Constance Hall is exactly the woman I'd want beside me in that strange combination of situations. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee stories about the guts and the glory of life, and rarely have the guts or the glory sounded as joyful as they do coming from Constance Hall. You've lost a shitload of weight, haven't you? Yes, yep, I have. I've just put a bit back on lately, though. Just give me the shit. Oh, it's the worst, isn't it? Because you always start putting it back on and then it's harder to lose the second time after you've lost it the first time. Although I've, like, gained and lost the same 30 kilos, I reckon, eight times. Oh, it's just same as my life at the moment. Like, I gained, really weirdly, I gained heaps of weight when my blog took off in 2016. And I've been 15 kilos heavier ever since, and I haven't been able to. I've gone down five and up five, but I haven't been able to shake it. And I feel like the busier and the happier I get, the fatter I get. Yeah, definitely. It's like when you fall in love, hey, you always gain weight. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so bizarre. And when I was miserable in my last marriage, I kept myself real thin because I thought if I'm thin, I'll find someone else and life will get better. And now life's better. And I'm like stuffing fucking cookies and cream in my mouth in bed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone always thinks you're gorgeous. <laughs> I never think you're any heavier or thinner either. Well, I, never... I know my angles really well. So, you know, like I can do a photo shoot and I can hide five kilos easily. I just gained way too much this year because quarantine, but also I, for the first six months of this year, I was just off the rails and like drinking way too much and popping every pillow. Um, yeah and I got fat from that because I started then like you know you're off your face so you don't care you let whatever you want but also then when I came off it all I was finding the only pleasure in my life was eating so it's taken me you know regulating but I'm getting there <laughs> yeah it was really interesting when you were talking about denim denim's your husband yep. about how he had never been with a woman of your body shape yeah, I know, because I'm not even, I mean, look, I'm bigger now. Like the doctors would tell me that I'm a bit overweight. I actually got this fun, bit off topic, but I got this funny pain in the side of my um, stomach, which I've only ever had when I'm pregnant. And I know it's like a, a, a pain of having too much because I carry all my weight on my belly. And I know, it's, so I know it's a pain of having like my organs are sort of squished. And so I knew I had to lose weight for my health. But because um, I, and I didn't really realize, I don't weigh myself, I didn't really realize how big I'd gotten. All my clothes are quite flowy. So I never really, you know. And um, yeah, but then I look back at photos of when I first met Dens and I was a lot thinner then. And I think to myself, far out, man. Had you never been with a woman like that? Like, shit. That's a very small pool of women than you've been. <laughs> <laughs> but like you said, he's the surfy, right? Yeah, that's right. And they're all, yep. And even his mates, like he is now a convert. And um, it was the first time he perved on like a, <laughs> a curvier woman when we were in Italy. And he was like, there is the hottest waitress up there. You've got to come see her. He goes, Con, she looks like Amy Winehouse, you'll love her. I went up there and she was a good, decent size 16. And I was so proud of him. And he was like, nah, man, I need ass now. I need ass and tits. You know, he even loves my stomach, which is the one thing that I'm always trying to hide. And he plays with it like it's pizza dough. He just loves it. <laughs> Comes from pizza dough. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's very interesting because he's got 45-year-old mates who ain't no oil painting anymore. You know, they're weathered. They've been in the surf for the last 30 years. And they're like perving on like 25-year-old chicks in their bikinis. And I'm like, mate, no. <laughs> Your husband, though, I can see what you see in your husband. He's got a charisma. He emits a personality. When I saw your husband the first time, when you put photos of him up, I thought, yeah, what an interesting dude. Yeah, yeah. He puts out a lot of... He's not as interesting as he makes out. Isn't that funny? Yeah, because he looks... <laughs> and that happens a lot, right? Because he looks really interesting. Yeah, and a lot of people, like, really value his opinion. They say to me, what does Denzi think? Oh, can you make sure Denzi doesn't judge me for this? And I'm like... Please don't mistake his chilled laid-backness for wisdom. He's just lazy, you know. <laughs> Sometimes they don't talk much because they don't have anything to say. <laughs> that's right. It's not that he's, they're thinking a lot. That's exactly right. <laughs> My husband's the same. Adrian's the same. Like people think, oh, it's just like really quiet and interesting. No, it's just not thinking anything. <laughs> Everyone's dying to win him over and meanwhile he can't remember their names because... No. <laughs> I'll never forget when there. we were first together, when we were first together, you know, and you do that thing where you go, what are you thinking, babe? What are you thinking about? <laughs> and he'd kind of go, no, nothing. And you just think, oh, God, I just wish I could 
get in there, you know, and find out what. <laughs> and then after a while, you realize, no, it really is nothing. Yeah, it really is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I try and explain to the young girls. Like, you know, do you remember being a young girl and being in high school and you are so obsessive in high school over boys? And it is, you, you cannot fathom that boys aren't thinking about you or deep things or marriage or, you know, they're just not. I have all these young girls at my house and it's just, boy, there's, and I like him because of this, but he doesn't really like girls that are like this. And then you go into the boys' room and it's like, uh. <laughs> I've got twins. I've got a boy and girl twins. I've got twins. Yeah, they're six guys. So they haven't started on me yet. Cute. Mine are 10. Yeah. Are they boy girl? Yours? Yep. The lady at my post office has got boy girl twins, but they're like 20. And she always says to me, why do they read each other's friends? <laughs> Yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, she says, you think they're fighting now? Wait till they read each other's friends, mate. That's when you really <laughs> see some fights. I think, shit. Oh, well, that's I've asked the kids what they would do because Billy's 11, Zeke's 15, but all of his mates are always over and um, they're cute. Some of them are gorgeous and Billy's always like, she doesn't really care about them. All her friends do. Her friends are like desperate to come over and hang out with the cool boys. But um, I said to Denham, would you get angry at one of the boys? Because we've taken in all these other boys as our own. We just love them. And um, they're gorgeous kids, but they're naughty. They're always in trouble. But I said, would you get angry at, you know, blah, blah, if he rooted Billy Violet when they were older? And he's like, uh, probably not if he didn't hurt her. And I was like, well, what if he, like, broke her heart and rejected her? And he goes, well, I can't bash someone because he's rejected your daughter. And I was like, well, you can <laughs> if he makes <laughs> ugly <laughs> just be protective and he's like no and I'm like I'll bash him <laughs> how do you go with the other parents though because if I was a kid I would fully want to hang out at your place all the time I would be like they do say that the other parents yeah <laughs> yeah which I would love too by the way if I was a parent I'd be like yes go to cons great see ya yeah 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 absolutely that's what the mums are like they're like they want to be with you you want them with you Great. <laughs> but they don't hassle me because I've got the big house and I've got, um, you know, the kids have their own sort of section of it. And I always say to the mums, I don't have many little kids come over. Oh, my relaxed friends will drop their little kids over. But in general, if you're, you know, I had a mum come over and she said, um, blah, blah, I won't say his name, needs to wear a helmet when he rides a bike. <laughs> he needs to eat at this time. He needs this and that. And I was like, oh, dude, I've got six kids and I work full time. So if you want him to be alive at the end of the day I can guarantee that yeah. and he'll be fed and that's basically it if he dobs on someone I won't listen if someone dobs about him I won't listen <laughs> like so yeah I've got all the older kids I don't have many of the younger ones but um they do Billy Violet does say to me oh you know all my friends think you're such a cool mom and you know I do you know what I think it comes down to from my mum was awesome she was a young mum though and she worked really hard and she um then went and had more kids when I was 14 uh -huh. and so my house turned into this you know house of um mum working a lot mum being stressed and tired don't wake the fucking baby up if you fart in my mum's house she's like honey <laughs> and so <laughs> And yeah, so I sort of had friends' houses that I went to and hung out at all the time and mum couldn't give a fuck. She was like, good, go, don't wake me up. And now I kind of wanted to be that house. I wanted to know that I like to know what the kids are doing. And, I mean, everyone was drinking vodka. The 15, 16-year-olds were drinking vodka the other night. So I texted the mums and I was like, I don't approve of it. I only, you know, if they want to drink alcohol, I want to buy them beer or cider because I had one of my kids fucking smash himself, like drank a whole bottle of vodka. I just think their guts 
are too young and they don't know how to drink spirits. So I was like, I won't buy it for them. They bought it. There was eight of them. But I texted the mums and I was like, just letting you know, I don't approve of this, um, but it's happening and it's here. I'm not going to stop it, um, but I want you to know. And the mums had the same idea as me, but they were like, oh, we told them to go to your house because we thought you probably wouldn't mind them drinking. And I was like, nah, mate, I've got some boundaries. (laughs) But you know what? When I was 15, I drank vodka and was sick. But I did it at the show, at the showgrounds in Toowoomba. <laughs> it's a nightmare. Oh, my and it's so God, dangerous. that is such a nightmare. <laughs> there was a big gang group of us yeah. and luckily yeah. I survived. But, you know, I might not have. You do think you're invincible at that age though, don't you? Yeah, and I'd rather my you know? kid do it at my house or your house than at the show. So, you know. Yeah, fully. And also, like, I interviewed Maggie Dent. Do you know who she is? No. She's, a, um, she's from Perth, that's probably why you don't, but she's amazing with um, children and child development and I don't usually listen to these parenting experts, but she is has this amazing knack to make you love your kids more and understand them more. And, you know, you leave her um, seminars and you just want to go home and wake your kids up and kiss them and oh. it's be- she's beautiful. She just tells you to love them more and forget about everything else. And um, she was saying to me that children, um, young boys, the major, the major... Um, danger in their lives where they actually die and they are more vulnerable. She she specialises in boys, but she says that statistically they are more vulnerable than girls because they all, so many more die before reaching adulthood, whether it's drowning or, you know, being hit by cars because of their impulsive, you know, attitudes. And she said, teenage boys, con, everyone's so stressed about don't drink, don't do, don't smoke pot, don't do this, don't do that. Teenage boys die trying to get home. They get in the statistically, they are getting in kids' cars who are drunk or adults' cars. Someone's had a drink. They're being silly because they're reckless. They're speeding, you know, and that's where the car crashes happen. So that's stuck in my head always. And I always thought to myself, if you don't have to drive home or get a lift, and if you do, you just wake me up, you know? Yeah, isn't that heartbreaking? Dying, trying to get home. Uh, so heartbreaking. I know. It's almost a little bit, yeah, it's just awful. So that's what I, I just kind of think. Don't stress the small stuff and, and make sure that um, with my teenagers, like make sure that they know that they're not going to get in trouble. My mum was such a bitch when I was young. She would even get me in trouble if I woke her up with an asthma attack. She was like, are you serious? And I was like, oh, no, it's probably not that bad. And she was like, oh, honey, I'm sorry. Get in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can get a bit like that, though. I can get like that because I'm tired. I'm stressed. I'm working Yeah, and you're allowed to. Yeah, but oh, and I hate that about myself. I've got to find, what's that lady's name? The parenting expert? No, you don't. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, I get a bit like that. How do you not get stressed and tired? You've got so many kids, mate. I've got two. I've got two kids. I do get stressed and tired, but I let it out as it comes. You know, Denim always, Denim and me are fighting at the moment because he's a lazy prick and I work really hard. And um, and he always said his excuse for not doing anything is um, that I yell. And I'm like, that's just so fucking bullshit because I yell to get shit done. I have so many kids. If I'm going to run around and whisper to them, I won't get everything done. So I feel like, and it's a passionate yell. It's a loving yell. It's a Remy, where are your goddamn shoes? Oh, shoes, mate, shoes. What is with shoes? I don't know. I just I just feel like I'm going to collapse in the mornings when he <sighs> says he can't find his fucking shoes again. It's, I know. It's, it's the bane of I have to go wait till Target opens at 9.30 to go and buy them new shoes and get them into school late like three times a week. And, um, yeah, and so Denim reckons that I yell a lot, but I think I do yell, but I think that that's when I get it out, you know what I mean? And so I can be friendly and happy and I really think I'm a better parent. Oh, no, I love my babies, I must admit, my toddlers, but I think I'm a bit better with them when they are 
you know, there's that stage where they're in between four, so they're not as cuddly, and nine, and they're kind of boring, like they don't snuggle you and they have interests, like watching YouTube people play with toys and stuff. Yeah, they're still doing that at 10 though. Yeah, yeah, well, Arlo's getting a bit better now. Billy Violet's just cool, like she likes art and she likes, you know, we can even talk about her friends, not in a bitching way, but we can talk about people and she understands people more now. She's only 11 and um, twins are different though. Twins, they, 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 they hold themselves back because they're so heavily influenced by each other. You know what I mean? Rather than like reaching out for the older siblings like most kids do, they just, like my twins needed speech therapy because they were just babbling to each other for four years. I know, they do, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, their yeah. own language. Yeah. My kids still sleep together. Oh, same with the twins. It's beautiful. It is, yeah. yeah they, so so all I, I bought them bunks and everything. They were like, nah. So I just had to keep buying them bigger beds because they just want to sleep in the same bed. Oh, heaven. Yeah, I bought them single beds because I thought, okay, this is going to get weird. And then they pushed <laughs> them next to each other yeah, and shed a blanket anyway. So. <laughs> same. I'm like, it is getting weird, but all right. That's so cute though. <laughs> when they were little, Louis, my son, would he learned to climb into her cot. Yeah, oh, it's adorable because she couldn't do it, so he did it for her. It's just really cute. Yeah, yeah, it is cute. Ruby's talking about, like, marriage and stuff, and he's like, ha-ha, Snow, you got to have a baby. And Snow's like, I want to have a baby. And I'm like, and you both might meet someone and fall in love, and you can see them just looking at each other like, Pinky, swear you won't. I won't if you don't, you know. <laughs> I know. It, and that would be why, actually, now that you mention it, Louis asked me once, um, or didn't ask me, told me that he just really wanted to experience a period. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you mention it, it's probably that. It's probably this feeling of kind of exclusion that Darling's going to get, get to do something. Yeah. yeah. Be, Next she'll be like, I want to have a stiffy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well, that's it. She doesn't know about them yet, but you're right, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're so adorable. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, your house, I can see from here, your house looks stunning. It looks beautiful. And as you said, it's big. And that just reminded me of a time maybe a year ago when you were very open about the fact that you were suddenly struggling financially. And I think it came good. Was that right? 
Well, I was in a hole and that hole sort of happened because I spent three months doing Dance in the Stars and the way my business works is that I need to make a lot of money to pay a lot of bills and I've never been a businesswoman before but all of a sudden I'm recruiting huge amounts of um, bills with Australia Post and with the clothing that I'm buying and everything and, um, and they just kept coming and the clothing that like I had a run that just didn't sell well because I didn't design it. I was kind of approving prints and I'd employed someone to sort of manage the clothing label for me. And I was doing all of the approvals and, you know, sending inspo and stuff. But at the end of the day, I was training 10 hours a day and um, for Dancing with the Stars. Oh, for dancing, right. Yeah. For three months. We didn't think I'd be on it for that long. We thought I'd be (laughs) booted off straight away. So we never really took all of my other work into account. And um, I just found myself, my business partner and I found ourselves having this chat about you know, do we go bankrupt? So many people are suing me as well. So I'm paying Why? thousands and thousands. Somebody's suing me about, um, for book royalties um, and somebody's suing me because I changed, you know, um, I changed sort of production teams, I guess, when things started going wrong. And then, um, but we we're about to settle and we're sort of made up, me and um, her, which is weird because we've accumulated so much um legal fees and now we're like but because we're like women we're like making up and the lawyers are like this doesn't happen and we're like well (laughs) it's like my husband and I though we we went through the settlement but didn't divorce oh shit we paid the lawyers and they didn't (laughs) idiots yeah, no, lawyers it. have it good, don't they? Of course. Of course. Yeah, I've got a really oh, good no. lawyer. She tries to not charge me for everything. Oh, but. mate, these guys are like, no, you should really do all this stuff. And we're like, oh, should we? Yeah, because what if he turns and what if she yeah, turns? Yeah, oh, and my God, like, they mm. actually do that, don't right? they? Have you yeah, seen that yeah. movie with um, Scarlett Johansson? Yes. Yeah, it's exactly what they do. Like, they force you, no, I don't need child support. I earn good money. No, you should go for child support. What? Anyway, so what happened there was, yeah, it's sued by someone else with a web, um, a web. Des- I don't even know what I'm allowed to talk about, but it was a website that was made and then they said that I didn't work hard enough on it. Well, what I fascinates me, can I tell you where I'm coming from, is that I feel like I'm interested in how you got to this place because, like, I've stopped working in TV and radio stuff and I'm sort of out on my own, you know, like I'm podcasting, I'm writing books. And mm-hmm. so I'm just kind of bobbing around out in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, making my money. And like you, you suddenly yeah. realize, oh, you've got to make a lot of money because I've got to pay yeah. for childcare and I pay, you have to pay for someone to run your website. Yeah, yeah. So my problem was in the very beginning, I started employing people to work because I didn't have any money. So where did all this come from? So you, you know, you wrote a Facebook post about trying to have three minutes of sex while your husband held the door shut with his foot or something. And then I just like, and then I got all this media attention, all this attention, and I had so much content in my head, thankfully, because, you know, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Everyone knows that. So I'd been writing for so long, but, you know, a very small amount of people were listening. So I just had so much to smash out, you know. And then I got, in that year, I always know, I've noticed with um, internet sensation type people that they really grow for their first year and then they always sort of plateau. And some people might sit around a million. I think I'm 1.3 million. Other people, might sit at 24 million there's a a point in time where it sort of slows down and stops growing and I I took that as a fence for the first for the couple of years you know like 2017 2018 I was like oh you know no one cares about me anymore I was just a one hit wonder type thing but my followers are so loyal and beautiful and like there's over a million of them like calm the fuck down gone were people saying to you hey you should be able to make money out of this 
Yes. And I, I'm quite business savvy in the sense that I'm not good with like technology or anything like that, but I really do have good instincts. And I know like, you know, I, I, I've learned a lot as well, but I have a good eye for, okay, penguins come to me and they've said there's an $80,000 advance, write us a book. And I'm going, okay, if I was 20 and I needed that notch on my belt that said, I got a book with penguin, I would take your money, but I'm doing the math here. And if I self publish and sell it on my platform, I'm going to sell more. I'm going to make more. So, I was able to make a couple of good decisions like that. And ironically, I needed $50,000 to write the book, to produce enough copies so that I, you know, wasn't going to be fucking people over that had bought it and haven't got it and whatever. Um, and I think we, we marketed for 15000 in the beginning. And then, um, and then I needed graphic designers, photographers, proofreaders, all that stuff. So I needed 50 grand. And I lived a life where I don't know anyone with 50 grand. Do you know what I mean? There's no one you can call. And I don't have that rich uncle that I fantasized over my whole life. No. And, <laughs> <laughs> but my parents got divorced the year before. And I was actually handling my stepdad's um, divorce for him, even though I was on my mum's side, technically. My stepdad moved in with me. And um, I was just responding to all the emails and all the rest. Of it. it was hard work. I did it for a long time. And then we finally got the settlement and I said to my stepdad, okay, now that you've got your, he had to sell a farm. He actually, you know, he had to buy all these shares and we, I bought him two apartments and did all this stuff. And I was like, okay, now that you're set and everything's done, can I borrow 50 grand? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, right. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, of course. Like a hundred, he believed in me. He's like, you'll pay it back. I paid it back the second that I released pre-sales. So it all went straight back and, and I um, made, I made really good money out of that book. And wow. So, yeah, so then, you know, even with the website people, it was like I could build you a website but it will cost this much or I could build a website and we could work together and, you know, and then and then, so that's how these decisions that I made in the beginning when I didn't have much money are the claws that are still into me because I signed a bit of myself away and now that I have capital and that I have, you know, um, money, not, I don't, not that I have a huge amount of money but I definitely have the capital to not sign myself away to anyone ever again and that's, you know, obviously a privilege in the beginning it was it wasn't like that but um yeah so I got into this financial hole and you know I had hundred thousand dollar bills and I had legals and I had these you know legals was like 10 grand a week at the time and then there's wages and stuff and yeah and like people would say like you know members of my family would be like because we always really rude to each other in my family oh cry me a fucking river you know I can't even afford to buy a new pair of shoes and I'm like just because you're stressed about fuck 150 dollars and I'm stressed about 150 grand doesn't make it any less valid and then there was like the fuck it we're just gonna have to go um bankrupt and um my mum's always said to me you know you want to be really in the hole before you go bankrupt and I really didn't want to lose my house because I bought this house with the money from the first book never thought I'd be able to have a house without a mortgage and I was I mean, it's half my ex-husband's and, you know, I still have a settlement to happen that hasn't happened yet. But I really love my home and I put so much work into it. So I was like, I'm just going to try one more thing. I'm just going to be really honest and I'm going to say, you know, that I'm going to ask my followers to, not to donate me money, obviously, but to buy stuff from me that they might not need but might want in the future for Christmas or something. And I told them all about it and it, it was amazing because my followers are amazing like my followers are the fucking bomb and they were just like buying stuff they were like just bought your book three times don't need it <laughs> and it was the best feeling and um my business partner was so impressed with me he was just like you know like you've got a connection with these women that I can't fathom and I uh, was happy but then all the like news articles started coming out and I think once you declare yourself as being broke and I wasn't broke you know I had these huge bills but I could still afford to, so it's like, well, why, why was she going out for dinner? And then even my community oh, notice yeah. board 
said, um, so I, that's another reason why I couldn't go bankrupt because it's like, you know, if I went bankrupt with the media attention, that's, I couldn't go out for dinner anymore. I couldn't go, I couldn't go take my kids camping because it would be like, you're bankrupt, you shouldn't be able to do this. Do you know what I mean? It's so, so horrible. They love to paint that picture of successful women fucking it up, basically. Yeah. Oh, fully, don't they? Right? <laughs> I said on a podcast once, I was talking about donating money and I said that I just got a bit out of hand with donating money and then I felt like, oh no, now I sound like a, a rich bitch and so it that's all in my head right and I'm thinking oh now now I sound like an asshole so I said oh I'm quite broke now though don't worry as a, <laughs> as a joke next thing I know the Daily Mail's going Michelle Laurie down and out I was oh like, my oh, god I'm not down and out what are you talking uh, about and they really do you know they really want to make you sound like a desperate loser totally and that's they how they want you to look bloody weeks and they kept calling me down and out and like I was like dude I'm not I just didn't want to sound like oh yeah, I yeah and I went through a stage of real paranoia you I know bet. like oh should I have not said that I shouldn't have said that can we arrest that now I don't give a fuck but I remember the Daily Mail did that to me when I was in Ireland and I had a book show there and I walked out of the cab it with my hair flowers in my hair and there was some um Queen's waiting for me and just um, they were going to go in around the other door. I was at the back door and they were like, oh, come on. And so I quickly grabbed the book and signed them and gave them a hug. And um, my stepson was with me and we walked in. Daily Mail took photos of me and then they like wrote the caption. They said, Constance walks into the um, theatre and like something like freaked out onlookers, uh, <laughs> you know, like as if like, like I was this freak that got out of the cab and like went and kissed strangers and like, scared <laughs> them. Yeah, and I'm like desperately trying to cling on to people with, you know, and give them my book. It was just like, oh, fuck off, Daily Mail. Like, who even reads your shit? Oh, you know, the worst of it is the only people who read it are other people who are sometimes in it. And then they, <laughs> then I start getting these text messages from the weirdest people, like low-level celebrities asking me if I'm okay. Are you okay, mate? And I'm like, get fucked. You know Lucky full well this is bullshit because they were writing bullshit about you three weeks ago. So don't now start texting me going, are you okay, mate? Fuck off. <laughs> Isn't the Australian celebrity culture so bizarre? Like, there's no real celebrities here and they all act so fucking famous and they're giving, right? giving you this huge favour by reaching out to you. <laughs> I get a lot of that as well when the Perth, when Perth um, media goes to town on me and like when, when I had that thing about being, you know, I wasn't losing sleep about being broke. Like I was stressed, but I've never really been money orientated anyway. Yeah. And I always said to Dan, I'm like, we'll be broke one day. We'll have nothing. And he's like, why are you planning to be broke? And I'm like, I don't know. I just kind of want to bust and do the simple thing. But um, me too. I'm the same. You yeah. know, like it's just not a huge thing for me. But then everyone was doing that. Everyone was like, oh, honey, I saw the thing. And then people were like, should we start a GoFundMe page for Con? And I was like, no, <sighs> it's not that bad. <laughs> and I am bad with money. And I have, I get a wage from my, um, from my company of $2,500 a week. Now that sounds like a lot. And it would have been a lot to me back in the day when I was earning $1,000 a week, except there are nine of us living on this wage, you know, and this wage is paying for nine people and everything that we do. So um, it goes, and I'm so bad with money. It will go within three days of me getting it. And then I have to look like a 
freaking homeless person because I'm literally at Coles, like looking at the prices of things and like, oh, we can't afford this kids. And the kids are like, what mom? And so in that post, I was being very honest that I don't even know how I'm going to afford to pay my electricity bill because I got this $1,000 electricity bill. I now am much, much better about that. I put 150 to the electricity every week. But I should not have written that because I could pay it. I'm just bad with money, you know? Yeah. And so that was what every media thing went with. You know, they were like, Constance can't pay her electricity bill. And I was like, no, it was just a term. Like, I seriously don't know how I'm going to pay the bill I just got, but I can't pay it. But also, you know what? It's just, that's just so normal. That's what's what's annoying about it. You know, my son, Louis, is, is quite sort of appearance orientated, you know? And he'll say to me all the time, oh, you know, why has everyone else got a nicer house? I go, mate, because all their parents just have big mortgages and I didn't want one, you know. Oh, like- exactly. I don't want to spend $1,000 a week on a mortgage that I'll only be mortgage-free when I'm 80 anyway. And yeah, you know, like, I don't get that either. Of course he can't understand because he's 10, but I suddenly thought, Jesus, I'm 45. I don't want to keep working like this for the, no. for the next 30 years, you know. No, that's right. So what do you want to do? Well, do you know what? Corona's been awesome for me, which is how it sounds horrible because I know you're in Melbourne and um, and it's full on for you guys at the moment. But it's been awesome for me because I, I travelled so much. And um, and what would happen when I travelled? Well, we sort of did it for productivity because all my company's in Melbourne. So we would have all the meetings and all that stuff face-to-face and get heaps more done. But um, what my business partner, who's much, you know, he's obviously the brains, um, just the creation. I create the stuff and he figures out how we're going to do it all. And um, he would bring me over to Melbourne because he wanted that productivity. But then he's even realised that I'm so much more productive now without the travelling. And it's funny, I've realised, I've had a realisation that I think I always equated having to travel for work as success. Because don't forget, I'm just a hairdresser, not just hairdressers rock, but I've been a hairdresser for, you know, 15 years. So for me to have to fly somewhere, you know, like I heard someone say, busy's the new rich. Like we can't call ourselves rich and important. So we just call ourselves busy now. And that, And that's the new brag, you know? It's a fetish. I absolutely, I wrote a book about it. Absolutely. That we just like the busiest person is the most important. Everyone else has got to work around them. Yeah. I was always the busiest one of my friends. Was always like, we know you're busy, babe. Yeah, so just... I'm a bit like that too. And we're being wankers, yeah. aren't we? Yeah, totally. <laughs> you're, you're so important because you're so busy. Exactly. Horrible. And so, yeah, I've, I've found that I've been, because I would go, because I live three hours from the airport. So it's three hour drive, three and a half hours. Wow. Then it's a four hour flight. And then it's an hour to my meeting. And then I'd come back or I'd stay the night in Melbourne. And yeah, I'd brag to everyone, like, oh, I've got to go to Sydney, do a podcast, got to go to Melbourne for this. And I just feel like I really valued myself on it. So I've realized that I am just as valuable here and traveling doesn't really equate to success. You know, like the really successful people wouldn't be this fucking busy. So um, you're so right. <laughs> Richard Branson's on his island doing nothing. Yeah, He's on his island doing a shit on a toilet. That you've got a view of America. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then, and then the productivity has just been so much better because I would be popping Valiums to go to sleep because it's at a weird hour. You know, I'd be like drinking a lot. I mean, I painkillers, whatever, just because I was so fucked up from the logistics of getting the kids looked after, the lack of sleep, and then the sleeping at a random hour, and then the driving, and then fighting with dents. And so, like, that would take me three days to regulate myself after the trip. And now it's like every day I get up and I do my work, and I do my work for the first half of the day with Melbourne. And then, you know, it's got, I've got a system, and I'm not a routine girl, but I'm loving it. 
you know, I'm loving being here. So that's sort of what I'm just building the business up now because I'm becoming really money orientated. I've never been money orientated before at all. And I've just gone, you know what? I have this opportunity now to earn money and I can do whatever I want with it. And we are not greedy people, me and my husband. We do not want jets and boats and, you know, anything like that. We want to build enough money so that we can donate as much as we can. And I also have a dream that I really want to, I've always had the dream, build a huge block, buy a huge block of land and have like a commune on it and have my home on it. And then all of my friends that can't afford holiday houses can actually build tiny houses on my property. And if they want to live there when they're older, like some of my single friends, they're like quintessentially single. They will never hook up with anyone. I just know. And so they can all come and live with me and would not even with me. Cause you'll be, you know, it won't be like a yucky commune where you all have to work and do stuff. It's just a place for us all to be together and for people that can't afford holiday houses to have one. So I'd like to do that. I'd like to do some women's refuge stuff. I just need resources and I need money to get there. So yeah, right now I'm focusing and I get, and I'm working my passion, you know, I'm making clothes and writing books. And I mean, fuck you as well. Like we're pretty lucky, aren't we? No boss. Yeah. No boss, mate. No oh, boss. You just get to wake up in the morning and go, what should I do? Sometimes I feel like I have a million bosses because I have to answer to them rather than like one person, you know? <laughs> Well, that's the thing too. I don't have the real online social media thing that you have. You got hacked recently, didn't you? Oh yeah, I've been hacked so many times. That would scare you off. Yeah, it does. It scares me off. And so I can disconnect and I do disconnect a lot. Yeah. My Instagram's been stolen so many times. One time it was stolen by this Turkish guy who's just started uploading videos of himself driving around Istanbul. Is it verified? You need to talk to Instagram and Facebook. No, I've never, I've never got the tick. I'm an idiot. Yeah. I just never go through the process. When people are mean to me on social media, I just can't stand it. And do you know what I find with you? It's the same with what they do to me. They get you where it hurts. Like, oh yeah, they're trying to call you a racist. Yeah. And with the when the hack when you got hacked and someone wrote racist stuff, I can't. I didn't even. My sister was sending me screenshots because she loves you to bits. And um, she was like, "Oh my god, Michelle's been hacked, and someone's trying to pretend that she's fucking racist." And I was just like, "Well, anyone but Michelle." Like, I actually think of you as one of the most progressive people in the media, and. Um, and I should ignore it. I'm such an idiot. They get us where it hurts. You know, like I was, the first time you interviewed me was when I was just come off that Nick Natanui drama. When, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. She pretended that like, um, or she, she did a thing about blackface and she dressed up her kid as blackface. And then people started getting it wrong. And um, recently a uni student told me she was writing an art, she was writing a thesis thing and she was including it. And she was like, what's the real story? Did you do the blackface? And I'm like, no. But she put it on my public page. And then I came out and said, no, I'm not a racist. Like, I don't actually believe in blackface. If Indigenous people don't want white people to do it, then white people shouldn't do it. It's not our decision to make whether or not they can be offended by something and then everyone started attacking me and saying you've just thrown this woman under the bus and so like I felt like I was really getting hit where it hurt like first of all getting called racist and then secondly getting told that I don't like you know look stand up for women and stuff and it's like when someone goes online and says you're just a stupid fat slut you know I hope you go and kill yourself which is what you get a lot whatever I don't give a fuck but when someone goes online and discredits me and says all this stuff like that like because it's your it's your audience it's the people you whose opinions you care about that you're losing 
And the other thing is that it, I, I try to explain to them later that it comes at you like machine gun fire, doesn't yeah. it? It's oh, like, God, yeah. It's coming at you so hard and fast and you're trying to reply to people and it gets so overwhelming yeah. and scary. So overwhelming. And it becomes your entire world for that small time. Yeah. And you're the one who messaged me that. You messaged me. You got my number off someone we had never even met and you said disconnect for a couple of days. And that was the first time I'd ever heard from you. And I was just like, you were like, it's Michelle Laura. I was like, what? From the TV? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It was really kind of you, but you obviously understood how it feels and how it can become your whole world. I had this image of you. I don't know if you actually said it or that you were in the bathroom. Yeah, I was crying in the hotel room. That's right. And I just uh, broke my heart because I thought, God, I know how that feels to be so alone and feel like thousands of people are just firing at you every second. Mm, mm. And I was also fighting with my husband that night. That's why I was mm. in the room. And then that happened. And you begged them to stop. The room started spinning. Yeah. And they just wouldn't. And they were starting up new accounts and messaging me. We're going to get you. We're going to fuck you. We're, you're going to, you're fucked with all this stuff. And it was just like, why are you so evil? Why wouldn't you leave me alone? It's yeah, it's a horrible, horrible feeling. That's what I try and say to my friends whose children are getting bullied. I'm like, you have to understand now it's at their dinner table. It's in their bed. It's, you know, it's the boogeyman for real because it's not just at school or just face to face. You know, instead of being the online, what I'm finding with kids these days, because my cousin was just being bullied, is that it's all like, it's the group chats that they're doing it in, do you know what I mean? Sending screenshots and doing the group chats. So they think that it's okay because they're not getting seen. But screenshots are getting sent around and, you know what I mean? So, like, bullying is actually just really bitching about people and that's what I'm trying to tell my kid because her and her little friends can be really bitchy and stuff. And I'm like, even though she's not here, that is bullying because she will eventually find out about these conversations. It's hard because I went to a school after I went on this bullying rampage after my TED talk and after I came out about the bullying that I'd get. And I um, went to some high schools to talk and it, it was like these kids are all telling us all their problems. And I thought that I could give them this great chat about how much it's hurt me and how much I know that they're hurting and blah, 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 blah. And then they're like putting their hand up and going, but if someone gets punched and we step in, we'll get punched too. I didn't know what the answers were. So, it's, yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? It's, I guess it's just each situation at a time. Yeah. Can you show, I know that you're, I can feel like you're wrapping it up. Can you quickly tell me something? I wanted to ask you um, about being a Buddhist woman living in Australia. I'm so, like, impressed. Are you Vejo? No, I was before I had my kids, so that's 10 years now. So you've been practising Buddhism for longer than that? Yeah, yeah, long time. Wow. About probably 20 years now. Wow. But um, yeah, so I was a good vegetarian. And then the doctor, because they're IVF twins, right? And the doctor said, oh, can you just like start eating meat again? Just, and I was like, oh, really? He said, yeah, yeah, just mm. while we're trying to get you were pregnant. Were you craving it a bit if you were low? No, but I did just really live on cheese and bread. So it was a pretty shit diet because I didn't have time to cook or anything like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the only way I've been able to lose weight is to really smash the meat. Yeah, me too, me too. Keto. It's the only way I can lose weight. Yeah. Yeah. No carbs. Keto is. Yeah. It's the only way. So. But um. So as a Buddhist, can you still be a practicing Buddhist if you eat meat? Yeah. 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 The, the Dalai Lama eats meat sometimes. He doesn't like it, and he was just. I was just watching a teaching that he was giving uh, a couple of days ago on Zoom. He's zooming a lot at the moment, and it's really good. It's helping me to kind of just cope at the moment to watch him. And he reckons that our teeth and our fingernails tell him that we should be eating vegetables because we don't have teeth and fingernails like tigers, do we? It's true, yeah. <laughs> but he said, he said, look, we're like deer. So See, cute, you can tell, he? yeah. <laughs> so we should be eating plants like deer. It's like, well, I can't argue with that. 
<laughs> I went and saw him once, but I just feel like everybody goes through this Buddhist stage. Yeah, we all, when we learn about Buddhism, we want to be Buddhist. But then when it comes to practicing Buddhism, it's like, nah, I kind of would prefer to be one than actively do Buddhism. And so when I found out that you were actually a Buddhist, especially for that long, I didn't know that, I, and you've written books and stuff about it, I was really intrigued. But he says the same thing. He's like, oh, you don't have to be a Buddhist. Just, you know, like it's you can treat it like a philosophy and yeah, yeah. be kind to people, be the best you can be, all that stuff, be mindful. But you actually believe in the in the Buddha. I think Denim does as well, like the guy that sat there and got enlightened. And I mean, I probably would too if I knew something about him, but. Yeah. The difference is to believe in karma and reincarnation and things like that. And, yep. and you know, to be Christian, you need to believe that, Jesus died and was resurrected you know that's what makes you a Christian yeah 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 I don't believe that so I'm not a Christian yeah I've always believed in reincarnation and karma as well well you might be Buddhist mate I might be a Buddhist you actually might be you never know (laughs) I just thought that that, did you meditate I fucking hate meditating (laughs) yeah yeah I know it's hard it's tough yeah because I really struggle like Denim will sit out in our meditation corner thing and for hours and I'm just like He's like, I'm just asking you to sit still for 10 minutes. And I'm like, (laughs) fuck that. (laughs) But like, I do like the idea of mindfulness because I think I I get like, when I go for a walk in the park. Yeah, walking meditation is good. Yeah, I get like that feeling that most people talk about after meditating. I sort of feel like that one after I've gone for a walk in the forest and stuff. But like, Yeah. yeah, the whole like enlightenment thing, that just reminds me of like drugs that I took when I was younger that took me to those realms, you know? Well, and the great thing that I love too about the enlightenment story, Buddha's enlightenment, is that prior to that, he tried lots of extreme things he tried to starve himself to get more focused on spirituality he Mm. tried to whip himself to get more focused he tried all these really hardcore things Mm. and then he realized that shit's crazy Mm. that's just as distracting as being rich Mm. being that hard on yourself is just as distracting as giving yourself too much pleasure To, to distract yourself yeah yeah he's like you know what being moderate is actually the way to enlightenment don't be so hard on yourself. Balance, yeah. Balance. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. That's, I always feel like I've come a long way. When I, I had a spiritual boyfriend when I was young and his mum was a spiritual healer and she just, like, hated me and was always, like, making out like I was really spiritually inept and they were all too good for me and they were really rich and they had this, like, spiritual room with all these books and I was reading every single one of them trying to be enlightened because I was just, Aww. like, wanting to be spiritual. Like that. I know it was awful. But um, And then she took me to get, for Easter present, she took me to get aura photos taken and um, his was, like, all red and ugly and mine was like every colour under the sun. And the guy who took it, he, he, the girl who took it, she was like, I better get Frank. Frank. And her <laughs> husband comes down and Frank's like, jeez, jeez, I've never seen an aura like this before, you bloody spiritual woman, aren't you? And I was just like, and, and the mum got really angry. And in the car on the way home, the mum goes, I've just got to get something out. The reason that, I won't say his names, um, aura is so bad is because you've actually sucked all of his enlightenment out of him. And now you're carrying that aura that was originally his. And I was just like, I was 17 and even I know that's a crock of shit. <laughs> I have a good fucking aura and you can't stand it. But so I spent two years with him trying to become really spiritual, didn't get anywhere, went to Melbourne, moved in with like the gays, the hairdressing scene, partied, took my drugs, took rooted men, laughed for days with my best friend and came back to Perth to see the family and to see old friends and including the ex-boyfriend. And I really felt like I had developed spiritually without even knowing yeah just opened your heart up 
yeah, and I was happy and I was comfortable with who I was and I felt intuitive and it was amazing that, yeah, I had to stop trying really. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, imagine how inhibiting that is when you're scared and just feeling inadequate all the time. How awful. Yeah, that you, nothing good's going to come out of that. I want to read one of your books. I'll send them to you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'll send them to you. And the one about breaking up is good if you're not breaking up too, I think, because what I found, yeah, yeah. the reason we got back together is when I started writing it, I thought it was going to be all about what an asshole my husband is and not everything he was doing wrong. Yeah, but actually, yeah. as I'm writing it, I'm realising, oh, and then I did that. Oh, man. Yeah, and it takes hindsight to realise that you were pretty shit. <laughs> I'm a bit like that. yeah. All the Buddhist teachings that I was messing up. Yeah, and I think I say the same thing about my divorce book. Like, even if you're not getting a divorce, it's interesting to find to sort of know what the realities are. You know, like we stoop pretty low when we're being broken. Totally. And I think that we get broken for a reason because we need to be built. You know, but some of us are. I'm you know, quite stubborn with my breaking point. So the universe does tend to throw some good ones at me until I find like, that's why I had the twins because I just kept losing my baby weight and being the same woman, you know, I wasn't changing and surrendering to motherhood. So you just threw twins at me, me and my husband separated and I was there with four kids under five and I was like, fine, I give up. And then I slowly had to rebuild. Constance Hall's husband, Denham Cook, was seriously injured in a motorcycle accident a couple of days after we recorded this interview. He's recuperating in hospital in Perth, and again, Constance is exactly the woman I'd want with me in that situation. Thank you for downloading this episode of the Nitty Gritty Committee, made in association with the ACAST Creator Network. We'll be back next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 